Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danzig, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Lynn Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strolight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. Man, and then they fight you. Good morning to all of you Cafe Bitcoiners out there. Today is Wednesday, December 13th, 2023. It's another day for Cafe Bitcoin. Good morning, Dom Bay. Good morning, Mickey, Bill Stebbins, Terrence, Ant, uh, Jacob. Shout outs to Mike Hobart, Peter, Wade. And all the rest of you Cafe Bitcoiners out there as well. This is Cafe Bitcoin episode 497. Shout outs to our supporters on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Fountain, Overcast. Our mission for this show is to provide signal in a sea of noise. And oh my gosh, is there a lot of noise out there. And we're here to teach the other 7 billion people on this planet why there's hope because of this bright orange future we call Bitcoin. Today, we will continue to discuss Then They Fight You and how we will and are overcoming lizard pivots to CBDC. Shocker. Nobody saw that coming. Section 702, surveillance state BS, and how we are winning. May not feel like it sometimes, guys, but there are many areas we are winning. And we'll get into that and why here in a little bit. In the second hour of the show, we have Alex Vetsky coming on to share with us uh, what he's been working on lately. And also BJ Boyapati. Very excited for that. Big BJ fan myself. All right. We're going to dig right in it. I'll let you guys uh, hit anything you want very briefly before we get rolling here. Man, we have some interesting stuff to talk about. Uh, so real quick on VJ, that's going to be Stephen Luca and myself, <clears throat> along with uh, Nick Payton moderating um, we're going to be having a discussion, Stephen and I, with VJ tomorrow afternoon. If you can't make the live stream, please sign up anyway to get the recording and DM me any questions you might want us to broach. Yep. If that wasn't clear, they're going to be doing a live session and uh, it'll have Stephen, Terrence, VJ Boyapati, and you'll be able to sign up for it. We'll throw the link in the nest. But BJ's coming on at the end, end of the show today. Uh, and we'll be talking a little bit about what these guys are doing. Ant, I would like to hear from you. What's going on in your world? It's been a long time since we've heard from you. I know you're super busy, dude. You got lots of things happening. <laughs> yeah, I'm racing on deadline. I'm, uh, I, I've got a couple of things that I'm going to be releasing here pretty soon. So I'm pretty excited. I don't want to say too much about it yet. Some people know about it, but uh, I think people are going to enjoy it and uh, it should be by the end of the year if I can meet my deadlines. 
Otherwise, I'm just watching this stuff. You know, it's like the lizards are doing their little attacks and I see everyone freaking out. And, you know, it gets scary. It comes up. That's what I said yesterday. Like these things come up. And, and if it's your first ride on the, in this rodeo, it's like, damn, like, <laughs> you know, it, it reminds me whenever I first came in and, and it was the big, uh, l- literally like the depths of the block size war. And I'm coming in buying Bitcoin, thinking that I'm like, OK, I'm finally getting off zero. And here I am. I'm getting getting into Bitcoin and, and going to gonna get some of this stuff and get on the number go up train. And then all of a sudden they're talking about this civil war happening and like, you know, it was going to be this big fork and I didn't know if I was holding the right stuff. And it's Bitcoin's like this. It's a it's we're in the infancy. It's 15 years old, but it's this is still the infancy of this nascent protocol. And to be honest, I, I think, you know, we talk about it every single day, but. I don't think hardly anybody on the planet even knows what it really is. You know, it's just, there's a lot to it. And the network is based on incentives. There's a lot of key players that are, you know, the incentives don't always align. And every now and then things come up where things get scary again. And you have to like, look inside. Why am I holding Bitcoin? Why am I doing this? So. That's it. I mean, I've been I've been kind of quiet on the space, just like listening because I've been working. I'm coding while y'all are talking. But that's basically what I'm seeing. I mean, I'm just seeing that everybody's going through this. You know, there's when ordinals came about, I believe we talked about it on this space. And I believe everybody kind of said a thing. And then I said that I wasn't, you know, I, I had highlighted that I, I didn't like it. That's just one piece of it, though. Like, you know, you got the ordinals attack, uh, the spam attack. I mean, that's not new. It's just another round of it. Here we go again. But it's not just that. It's like you got Warren and these lizards over here doing what they're trying to do. I mean, it's very clear that they don't like crypto. Like whenever she was doing uh, this speech with, or, or this uh, grilling of Jamie Dimon or whatever that was, that, that conversation. And, and he's like, yeah, I think we got to shut it down. She's like, oh, really? Oh, oh, OK. OK. You know, it's just it's very clear what they want to do. As if she didn't know he was going to say that. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, oh, really? Okay. And then, of course, two days later, here comes the big, you know, it's just, and I know it's scary for everybody, but I just, I would just say when I get really, really scared, and I know it sounds cliche, but I'm just telling you what works for me. Go read some stuff. Like, go read some bips. Go, like, read some, you know, some other things about Bitcoin that can help you understand it a little better. Because that's what helps me. There's certain things you, you've heard me where I'll take these stances where it's like, ah, whatever. And it's not because I'm being flippant or like disregarding some of this stuff. I don't think you should always disregard some of these things. But some of these other things we've talked about for a very long time and or we've been waiting for it. So that's basically it. I feel like I've been dominating the stage a little bit. No, oh, man, I, I love hearing from you. It's just uh, we haven't heard much from you. That's why I asked. Uh, for those of you who don't know, go check out Time Chain Stats. Ant has put that together. It's a fantastic site. You can get lots of information on it, not just the price, but things like block height, hash rate, how many transactions are waiting in the mempool, fastest fee levels, days to having, all that kind of good stuff. Um, big fan of that. I know a lot of other people are as well. Terrence? Uh, yeah, just on ordinals. So 
Number one, um, if you're a state actor or a BSV or BCH billionaire and part of their little cartel, you want plausible deniability. So ordinals are a perfect way to clog up the Bitcoin layer one um, and do this sort of spam attack and make Bitcoin unusable for many unless they can afford the very high fees, which we know that people in the global south generally cannot afford. And it just makes transactions um, difficult and expensive. All this stuff, yeah. you, ordinals, you can already do on ERC-20 on Ethereum. There's a great market for that. If you want to put your ordinals and you consider that high art or art or whatever it is and talk to your fans, do that on Ethereum. That's what Ethereum is for. Um, Bitcoin is for money. And the only data you need on Bitcoin is not ordinals, is not JPEGs, is not movies, is not Chancellor on Brink. The only data you need is the ledger itself and the transaction itself. You don't need this memo section where you can attach a bunch of stuff to it to clog up the system. So I think Luke Dash Jr. has really good thoughts on this, as do Jimmy Song, just to use argument by authority, but it's just everybody that Bitcoiners respect on the side of ordinals are people that Bitcoiners don't respect, whether they're BCH people, BSV people, or some of the wizard people. Now, maybe I'm misunderstanding how this is working, but it, it seems to me that what's been happening is, is that it's also killing liquidity in, in the lightning channels because it's expensive, I guess, to open and close these channels now. So uh, fees on lightning are, are way higher. Yeah, I don't pay as much attention to Lightning, but someone else can comment. I would think that this would be great for Lightning, great for Miner, because you now have more demand, more um, transactions that normally would happen on Layer 1, because it's expensive. You, so you would think, but I'm talking. You would think, Seeing but I've talked to lots of people. Now. Yeah, I've talked to lots of people over the last week or so who have said they've stopped using Lightning as much because the fees are too high now. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and just to clarify, that's that's fees to like open and close channels and things, right? Not no, necessarily sending or, sending sats on Lightning. I've really? seen fees of as high as six percent. Yeah, and other people are saying they're saying the same thing. Do you think that's like, because gonna, it's more expensive to open and close channels, or I technically don't know. That's why I was mentioning it. I, I suspect it might have something to do with it. I mean, if they're using a wallet that sets up the channel for them for the fee, then that fee would be there. I mean, if, if like they're receiving, I know Phoenix does that, you know, uh, sometimes when you're setting it up, it'll set a channel open for you. So then that'll be a fee. I've seen fees on Moon go as high as 6% recently too. It's not every transaction, but it's it's some of them. So I know maybe slightly unpopular maxi take here but i just kind of see the whole ordinals thing as like pretty much pulling forward what inevitably the fee market would have gone to as activity increased in the network and i feel like if you're doing things that are not economic eventually you're just not gonna you're gonna run out of bitcoin to be able to continue doing these things i mean that being said obviously you can keep this going for a long time if you truly view it as and are doing or intending to to spam the network. But I don't know. I mean, if, if it's going to be the global settlement layer, at some point, 
the unfortunate reality is that people in, you know, um, emerging economies are, are not going to be able to do base layer transactions. And it's going to end up being at least high net worth individuals or institutional players that are going to be moving Bitcoin around for final settlement on the base layer. And it's going to get mm. abstracted up. I, I just feel like M- that's where maybe. it goes eventually. Maybe base layer becomes like central bank level type stuff, and then layer two becomes fediment and institutional level type stuff, and then layer three is where people are actually moving the stuff. I I could see fediments taking over, you know, things with of size taking over layer two. And uh, yeah, so, so I agree with all that. The, the, here's here's the point is. Fedwire, right, which is the U.S. dollars layer one, they don't have extra data. They don't allow JPEGs and movies and stuff to be put on layer one Fedwire. So, yes, Bitcoin eventually, if it's successful, if and when it's successful, and it will be, might take longer than people think with these attacks happening all at the same time, continued and increased ordinal attack, plus all the FinCEN regulatory warrant stuff. So um, bottom line, you don't have you don't need this extra data that's a mistake and mistakes happen satoshi right was brilliant but things change for bitcoin to be a peer to peer electronic cash system you really cannot have this extra data clogging it yes the transaction fees will go up when it's used more as a mon- as money so to transmit bitcoin as money and to store bitcoin as money yes that that the fees will go up because of that. You don't want the fees going up because of spam. Well, I guess, and and this is where maybe we just agree to disagree. I, I feel like the spam eventually gets priced out, and I guess my concern would be eventually if, if yeah, it, but it, the concern being if we're too quick to make at this rate. Fair, um, but the the concern would be the solution could be worse than the problem. And, you know, I, yeah, I guess so that's my concern, possible. I guess, right? Yeah. No, no, no. So, so that's very possible. So I talked to Luke. One of the great things about Unconfiscatable is you can talk one-on-one with people. So I talked one-on-one with Luke Dash Jr. and asked him about this. And he's not perfect on non-Bitcoin issues, but on Bitcoin, he's usually early and right. And he said there is a way to amend Bitcoin Core to remove extra data what he considers extra data so that should be anything other than the ledger even chancellor on brink stuff like that should not be on bitcoin layer one you don't want people putting things that are anti-semitic or hate or whatever on bitcoin layer one you can have free speech elsewhere you don't need a token for that just i don't know create your own open source software make it like linux you don't need a token do your free speech there do your open timestamps, your voting, all that stuff on there, right? And if you want to do art, you could do that on another open source layer or just do it on centralized Ethereum. People seem happy to do that. Artists are making money. Fans are there, you know, speculators, scammers, they're all there. Yeah, I mean, people think of Bitcoin as coins, like in their minds, But Bitcoin is a communications network, communications protocol. And communication protocol get jammed with spam. Like that's, we see it over and over. Like humans love spamming communications protocols. 
But Bitcoin has this pricing mechanism that you guys are talking about. And that's where I get calm about it. Like, I can't stand these fucking ordinals. I see it for what it is, or at least I think I do. But it's that's why I get more calm about it long term. Yeah, and I guess that's kind of where I am. Like, I, I don't like it either. But at the same time, I just, I'm always reluctant to um, advocate for change of complex systems. Um, I think there's just so many times where, and I know it's completely unrelated, but not complete, well, not completely unrelated, but it's, it's adjacent, right? Where I'll see some complex system get changed with, with work and you change one variable and there's three unforeseen consequences from that. Just like we had with Taproot, right? Like you, you have on, like, just, you don't know what's going to happen when we make changes. And I, I know that, like you said, a lot of these people are very well respected and, I, I guess like to, to your point, you even said, you know, argument from authority, maybe that it doesn't really work, but I don't know. I'm just, I just don't like changing things if it feels unnecessary in the long run, but I know we only have one chance to get this right. So it's, I go back and forth with it in my head too, but I just, maybe it's, um, I've been overly dismissive of the whole ordinal steel. I've just seen it as kind of, I guess I'm kind of with Ant. I just haven't seen it as a, a big problem so far, I, I know it's been annoying and you have people like Wicked talking about making sure you're doing good UTXO management and all that. And um, I guess this has definitely highlighted the importance of that for some people. But I don't know. I guess uh, it's just so far I haven't seen it as a, a big issue. And I'm perfectly willing to admit that I may be wrong on that. But we'll see, I guess. No matter how you see it, I think we should all stop blaming Taproot for ordinals i think that's not a uh a useful thing to do taproot's actually pretty amazing and we are yet to see the best of taproot for bitcoin there's people actively working to integrate those features um this ordinals thing would be happening regardless it's not taproot that just unleashed ordinals One thing uh, that I'll comment on here and then I'd like to move on to the next topic is that um, while this concept of, well, the market will just price them out, I'm not sure I agree with that because you have to consider what the potential bad actors are involved in it too. Like, is there an incentive to make um, the Bitcoin layer two, layer one less usable if you're trying to promote a shitcoin? If you're a VC and there's VC money behind this stuff, and I'm not saying there is, I'm saying there are incentives that would make that a plausible situation. There are incentives that would make even beyond VC money a plausible situation. Because right now, you've got certain lizards out there who are pivoting to CBDC. They're trying to um, say Bitcoin is bad, but oh, our... CBDC, our digital currency, is better. Jacob, if you are ready, let us play the latest from Liz Warren. So, in theory, a digital currency issued and backed by a central bank could provide the advantages of cryptocurrency without those risks. 
The Federal Reserve, a trusted institution, could provide a digital version of cash to the public that is secure, stable, and accepted everywhere. So let me ask you, Professor Manant, what role could a central bank digital currency play in reducing these kinds of risks to financial stability? So a well a well-designed CBDC could serve as a public alternative to these cryptocurrencies and potentially uh, crowd out their usage. In contrast to private digital currencies, CBDCs would be sovereign, non-defaultable money, they'd be cheaper to use, and they would not be subject to bank run dynamics. Right. So that's that's very helpful. Thank you. My gosh. So the door hasn't even shut on this new bill that she's proposing. She's already saying, but our digital currency is better, primarily because, I guess, trust me, bro. Classic shakeway narratives. Yeah, watching her, it's like when you watch a, like a, a kids do a ballet show and they start doing the dance ahead of the choreographed part. It's like, come on, come on, Warren. You're, I bet they're calling her being like, that wasn't supposed to be till next week. No risk and stable are the psyop that I heard. Yeah. I mean, it's full on like ridiculous psyop nonsense, right? The guy, she's like, how could this work? And it's first, first of all, let me point out they're they're both saying this is theoretical. There is not a single CBDC on the planet that has proven to actually work at scale. In fact, most of them are being wholesale rejected by the populations where they're trying. it. They're only getting like one, two, three percent adoption. And most people are like, yeah, screw that. We don't trust these people. Why are we going to use their money? So the only way they're going to get people to do this is if A, they force it, they mandate it, and B, they say, well, you're not going to get your bread and circuses unless you do this. We're going to penalize you somehow. They're going to use, they're going to use sticks and carrots. We'll penalize you somehow. And oh, by the way, here's your gifts, you little digital slaves if you adopt this. this is the only way they're going to get people to use this stuff. And the part that cracks me up is that they're like, this dude is like, well, maybe it'll crowd out the usage of these other, of these other things. But I mean, this is what they I just, like about it. Like the, remember we were talking about it the other day about the competition of these mon of money. And it's like, you're, they can give me that. Like if they, if they want to incentivize me and, and they put us all on some kind of a plan where like we get our grocery money, for example, over their CBDCs on their little card or whatever. I mean, I'll pay for my groceries with that. Thing. I mean, that's just it. I mean, they want me to spend it. I mean, they give me money and whatever. But I mean, it still has to compete and Bitcoin will still be here. It's like because they introduced that and they try to incentivize me or penalize me doesn't stop that Bitcoin is still available to me. Yeah, 100 percent. Ant, Ant will go full Neo. He'll plug in, dude, to go shop at the grocery store in the Matrix, but then he's getting back out, dude, pretty quick. So I don't want to rehash anything from yesterday, but I, I wasn't able to hop on because I was at work. Um, do, you, do you guys, I know the primary focus of conversation, at least based on the title, was this, this new bill. Is there 
like a, a quick takeaways from it. I haven't really had time to look into it. I've just seen all the memes flowing around. So macro. That's why we record this as a podcast. We are Point. doing new content and it's a new episode for all okay. of our hey, listeners out there. You got me. I will listen to it when I'm driving to work tomorrow. My man. Um, the whole crowd out and use our CBDC shitcoin thing. What's interesting to me is he goes, this will be a non-defaultable currency system, which is completely ridiculous because what ends up happening? Let me ask you something. If they just start giving away, let's call it $10,000 a month to all the people for the bread and circuses thing, what, what happens to the value of the money? Anybody have a clue? I'm going to go with it goes down. <laughs> the purchasing power uh, collapses, right? So in an extended purchasing power collapse scenario, high, high inflation, you, you look at the, the hyperinflations of the past, and I know Terrence hates it when I talk about this stuff, but this is history, right? Ex high inflation for many years, possibly five, six, seven years, and that's when the hyperinflation kicks in. Point being is what I think will happen if they bread and circus people with this stuff, they'll, they'll, there will be some penalty as well. Like you probably have to pay your taxes in the CBDC. And if you don't, well, you go to jail or something. I don't know. There'll be some penalty as well, but the net effect of that is I think what will happen is people will take their CBDC money. They'll buy real things. They'll use the things that they need. If they have any excess whatsoever, they'll take those things and they'll trade it for Bitcoin. My opinion. What's up, everyone? Good morning. What's up? Uh, good, man. Um, Europe, listening in. Um, the uh, what, what I just heard, I hope everybody agrees. That sounded like music to my ears, right? Isn't that like one of the best commercials Bitcoin can have? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay, okay. The Bitcoin marketing department has 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 surfaced. We know who they are now. It's going to be no, it's going to be the lizards that are going to drive people from one end, and then it's going to be this year coming up. It's going to be the big financial institutions that are telling you you should buy it. It's like okay, we know people are stupid, right? But that what I just heard was just like a huge commercial, and um, I'm happy that of the level of cluelessness because uh, she, she is absolutely clueless. She doesn't know that she's a commercial and that is um, music to my ears. I, I think she knows, but I think she's relying upon the idea that she knows she will be able to convince a whole bunch of people. Unfortunately, there's a large section of the population that will, that will believe her, even though most of the stuff she's, uh, you know, attempting to stand on is, is for the most part, huge amounts of hyperbole when it comes down to uh, digital assets being used for illicit activities, et cetera. It's, re it's ridiculous, the amount of hypocrisy going on there, which we did talk about, I think, in some of the episodes earlier this week. Bill Stebbins, good morning. Jump in here if you have any comments on this. 
uh, I don't want to make any comments unless it's going to be something of unique value. I just, the CBDCs, I see that as digital slavery. And, and I think if we even venture our toes into that, we will enter into a realm that uh, is it, it, far more pernicious than we think right now. For sure. For sure. I mean, what could go wrong? You have a, a currency that the, the government fully controls. They can tie to some kind of digital ID. They can track what you say and what you do, where you go, what you buy, who you talk to, what you say in spaces like this. They can determine if they like you or not. They can reward you. They can punish you instantly, algorithmically. Yeah, what could go wrong with that? But I'm encouraged how they're not being widely accepted quickly. It seems like there's quite a bit of sandpaper on the sliding board. It seems like there's quite a bit of pushback and growing pushback. So that gives me encouragement. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people that I've talked to that know they have this inherent skepticism around CBDCs or see them as outright bad, even if they don't necessarily know that um, Bitcoin is the counter or the solution. I've talked to with a lot of people who are basically saying, yeah, I don't really know what that CBDC thing is, but it's just sounds like bad news to me and I don't want anything to do with it. So that's encouraging for me. All this, all this stuff, you know, if you step back and look at a lot of the stuff we're talking about going on from, you know, the digital asset anti money laundering act, uh, you know, Coinbase rolling out its, its international platform right after Binance gets smashed. Um, the CBDCs, a lot of times Bitcoiners get worried about themselves, but this is all a battle for the for future adoption. It's, it's a battle for what's on the table and, and the next phases of growth. And so, yeah, it's really interesting because there's there's a lot of people up for grabs. I think we know that, you know, here we we start we think sometimes that bitcoin's more adopted than it is and the adoption is growing but there's a lot of people out there right that that haven't found bitcoin yet and and that's what's at stake here i agree with that 100% this is about this is about getting control as much as possible of the adoption curve because if they've figured out if you've got Jamie Dimon on you know, in, in congressional testimony saying this is bad. Why is it bad? Well, it's bad for him. Why is it bad for him? Because if this takes the parasites out of the loop, the rent seekers out of the loop, then, you know, the party ends for these guys and they don't want that. So what does that mean? It means, well, there's a lot of money about to change hands here and they want their peace. Thus, self-custody bad. ETFs and CBDC is good. You know, if you think they're not going to come up with a reason to try and shake you, shake the Bitcoin out of, out of you, get ready for that fight because that, that one's coming too. They're going to try and shake whatever Bitcoin loose they can because there's a finite amount of this stuff. Exactly. And, and, and we've talked about before on the show, you know, Besides for having money that can't be touched, I bet everyone on this show who's gotten into Bitcoin, their their consumer bill, as far as like useless shit that they buy, has dropped drastically. I know it was a case for me. You start because when you're thinking about things that you buy in, the, in terms of sats and, and you're like, whoa, dude, 
Um, I don't need that. That's that's one of the biggest threats of Bitcoin for sure. One that we don't necessarily always look at is this whole machine, uh, uh, this consumer-based machine and, and not having a foundation of savings. That's a big deal for all the, the economic players. Yeah. And the, going back to the whole then they fight you thing. And what I was saying about the, you know, we've mined 93, we've mined and distributed 93.18% of all the Bitcoin that will ever be mined in the history of mankind. If you think when these people figure that part out and they might start, they might be on the cusp of figuring it out. I think some of them are already starting to figure it out. If you think they don't want to come after the Bitcoin you've got, you better get ready to hang on to that with both hands and everything you got. Or or not hang on to it, right, Alex? Quote, quote. <laughs> For sure. As far as CBDC rejection or adoption, I think like I keep seeing these stories about, you know, the, the CBDCs being rejected, but it's in places in countries where the people are have been already dealing with hyperinflation and most and have already like kind of been over it. And they're hit to what's going on with their government. Like they don't trust them. But the general like ignorance of the common American U.S. population around the issues of, you know, what's actually being done to them. You know, I want I mean, that's the gamble. That's that's the, the gamble that they can race and try to get it launched and try to trick as many people as possible into the security and the stable. She said it. It's stable and no risk, you know, so. <clears throat> but and. Like, when, <clears throat> really, when we peel everything off, isn't the only thing that really got, the only leverage that really got is, like, the, 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 the level of coercion, that the way that they're going to put this on people? Like, really, if, if you look at features, if you look at what, you know, what, what positive will it, will it bring those besides the coercion part? There's nothing. There's absolutely nothing. So I, I, I don't know. And can I say one thing on this real quick? Look, look at the vulnerabilities of folks. The same reasons why people need Bitcoin are, are vulnerabilities that can be preyed upon for a CBDC. I don't know what it would take and in what configuration, because obviously you have the challenge of public and private money and what can be done. But right, folks can't afford homes. Folks are in deep credit card debt. Inflation's wrecking a lot of people. Um, they can't keep up there. You know, these are things that are that if you were creating a CBDC, how about an interest free home loan? Um, how about uh, zero balance transfer type stuff? And yes, you'd need a private partner for that to happen. I don't know, maybe like a, a, a huge bank that has recently uh, consolidated a lot of the regional banks. Uh, the, there's vulnerabilities out there other than coercion, and that's the route I think that they would take. But Tom, all the things you just mentioned, don't they all fall under that coercion part? Yeah, they're going to do more of it. It'll be it'll be sticks and carrots the whole way. All right, let's move on. I think we've discussed this topic pretty well. There's a bunch of other things we need to hit here. I want to welcome Mickey Cost to the stage. By the way, congratulations, Mickey, on your your new position. Thanks, Alex. Mickey, you have any comments before we move to the next one? Is there? I'm dodging a screaming baby right now. Um, Got it. 
Yeah, Roger man, that. I don't know. Just for the plebs, just, I don't know, put yourself out there and build relationships with people and stuff happens. Build relationships. Amen to that. We'll talk more about that here in a little bit. Let's move on to the next thing. The new U.S. bill of the Section 702 thing could expand surveillance powers of the government. People are warning. Snowden is warning. Others are warning. Uh, Senator Ron Wyden says, speak up now. Snowden's word, word, basically contact your representatives, guys. As Senator Ron Wyden is saying that the government currently has to go through a phone or email provider to spy using 702, the, the House Intel bill would change that by forcing anyone providing public Wi-Fi, we're talking hotels, coffee shops, bookstores, to unknowingly help the government spy on people without a warrant. Time to step up. Time to get involved. Talk to your reps. Anybody have any comments about this one before we move to the next thing? All right. As freaky as that is, there are some wins. There are wins going on here out there in the ecosystem. So I want to just give props to Corey Clipston for a minute. Yes, he's the CEO of the company I work for. Yes, that is a thing. I'm not being paid to say this. All right. I admire the guy because he's been out there relentlessly hammering this concept of Bitcoin is not crypto. And we are winning. On CNBC, he was just on there last night. And we're going to play a clip of that here in just a minute, but which is really good. But on their banner, on their uh, marquee for the show, for CNBC, they put in gigantic letters, Swan Bitcoin, Bitcoin is not the same as crypto. They did that without anybody asking them to do it. They are getting the message that is being hammered through over and over and over again. So let's play that clip and then we can discuss some of the content. Corey, I know that you've got institution arm to your business as well, and it's uh, curious. I was talking to the CEO of Robin Hood the other week, and he was saying that he thought that the upcoming potential around this Bitcoin spot ETF was one for the institutions that would encourage them into the marketplace for Bitcoin, not necessarily the retail trader. How are you thinking about uh, if this project gets going stateside and what it means in terms of the retail versus the institutional investor? It's an interesting point. I think it actually drags lots more of both into the market. So it makes it a lot easier for retail to dip a toe in because in their brokerage account are going to be all of these options from name brand companies like BlackRock and Fidelity offering spot Bitcoin ETFs. But also these are some of the largest asset managers in the world that are now putting their stamp of approval, putting their money where their mouth is by offering these products and spending what we expect to be hundreds of millions of dollars of advertising, if not billions over the coming years, promoting Bitcoin and promoting their Bitcoin linked product. So that should give the air cover necessary billions in advertising from financial institutions coming forward talking about what bitcoin super bowl commercial in february almost guaranteed talking about what bitcoin keep going for a lot more 
corporate treasurers, CFOs, and CEOs to take a look at Bitcoin and think about it being part of their strategy. Um, look, we've only got time for a couple more questions, but we'll do a longer one next time. So I do appreciate it. Look, um, what is Bitcoin to you? And I, I know this is a, it's more like an existential question because for some people it will be a means of exchange. For other people it's a store of value or something you just park and it will gain value. Just, just remind me what for you Bitcoin is. Yeah, so I think it is a new and better monetary technology. And in its infancy, which it still is, this is something that I expect to take five to eight decades to become globally distributed and for most humans to understand what it is. And we're in year 15 right now. Uh, it needs to be a store of value first. And frankly, it's still in its speculative stage of being a store of value. This is a lot of people betting that others will understand it the way that I and, and other early adopters do. But we haven't crossed, a, crossed the chasm, as they say. We're not anywhere close to mainstream adoption yet. Uh, it is still in the early days. And as far as moving into medium of exchange and thinking about spending Bitcoin, you're not going to see a lot of that because most people expect the purchasing power of Bitcoin to rise in the coming years. And so they will spend almost anything else other than their Bitcoin. And adoption as a means of payment, as a medium of exchange, is driven by customer demand just like any other product or service. And so it's going to take Bitcoin doing something like approaching the market cap of gold uh, or maybe even doubling the market cap of gold before you see really widespread medium of exchange take off. For me in my head, when I kind of handicap that, that feels to me like something in the 2032 to 2035 range where you'll actually see prices of goods and services around the world available in their local fiat currency, but also priced in Bitcoin. I've, we've got one more question I've got time for as well. Um, I've always been deeply opposed to crypto, Bitcoin, etc. The true case for it is criminals, drug traffickers, anti-money laundering, tax avoidance. And that is a use case. You know whose words they are. Uh, a man I respect immensely, Jamie Dimon. Why, in your opinion, is he wrong, sir? Well, I think, you know, as often happens with these guys, they're speaking out of both sides of their mouth and sometimes they're uh, speaking to different constituencies. Uh, JP Morgan has been heavily involved in the space for years, uh, banks a lot of the large, large, large clients in the space and have plenty of employees with lots of interest, many of whom we talk to. So I think that's probably just playing a little game, uh, trying to curry favor in, in DC with, with uh, government and senators and things like that. But I don't actually believe that uh, bankers believe everything that they say. <laughs> Corey, well, there you go. There speaks a truism for the decades and the centuries. Love you speaking to you. and um, would love to speak to you again on another occasion. Thank you very much indeed for taking our questions. I know Karen, for one, has got many more for you. So uh, Corey Clipston, the CEO of Swan Bitcoin. Uh Great clip. <clears throat> I love seeing... Uh, Bitcoiners on mainstream media. Terrence, who you guys know, he's on mainstream media a lot. We're starting to see more and more of this. Um, and the narratives with mainstream media itself are, are um, they're changing. How do we know they're changing? Here's another little tidbit. Reuters is fact-checking the New York Times on Bitcoin. So here's the headline. Fact check. New York Times headline on Bitcoin causing next inflation crisis is a fake. So Reuters is out there correcting these kind of false narratives uh, with other MSM. It's very interesting to see the shift.
Comments? Okay. This is just breaking now. Here's another indication uh, of the direction things are going. Under the new Financial Accounting Standards Board FASB rules, cryptocurrencies will be measured at fair value. This just dropped. So that's live. Thanks to Drew Hudler for pointing that out to me. That's like uh, <clears throat> Schwarzenegger in the... Um... He's, he's trying to lure the predator into the trap. Come on, Apple. Come on, kill me. Kill me now. Hopefully Apple gets on board soon. Just add it to the balance sheet. Come on, it's so easy. Interesting times, man. Yeah, one thing is like, it's kind of crazy if you think about, just look back at, late 2020 2021 that whole run-up there really wasn't that much institutional money coming in to move the price substantially so i don't know i feel like it's it's been said on here before it's nothing new but it just keeps making me reflect on i don't think some people are really mentally prepared for how much this stuff could really influence price and, and make things move in the next year and something that i've been reflecting on a lot recently is my own personal like security how am i securing my stack and um i think there's definitely if anybody does an objective analysis of it there's possibly some holes there so um just something to think about you know the positive side of things is that price is going to run a lot but potentially negative is if you're not prepared for that mentally and your own personal opsec is not good uh, it could lead you to some lost sleep at night. So just something to uh, keep in everybody's mind. That's a good point. Treat your stack like it's worth 10 to 100x because one day it could be. So I wrote an article about this back in September. And so Sailor, Sailor defined all these conditions that were going to lead to $5 million Bitcoin in his mind. And so they're all, they're all sort of happening now. So it's, it's the ETF. It's bank custody and it's fair value accounting. So we, we get the fair value accounting. I, th I think it becomes the standard in like 2024, but companies can stop adopting it now um, voluntarily. As, and so they, they, so like MicroStrategy can start doing it immediately um, based on my understanding from, from September. And then, you know, every, every couple of weeks we get another story about a bank doing some sort of custody, not necessarily in the United States, but globally. And then, you know, when the ETF comes, it's going to make it easier for companies to add, you know, some, similar balance sheet to it. So a lot of people talk retail. Yeah. But, but also companies use <laughs> securities, stocks and stuff for, for store value on their balance sheet. So that'll, that'll open it up to to like fortune 500 companies and stuff to invest as well keep in mind guys um that this new fasb ruling is going to turn bitcoin miners into the probably the largest long-term hodlers of bitcoin in my opinion besides like the the ogs and the like the investors that can afford to do it personally um because when you like in, in macro, this is kind of touching on what we talked about recently. When you have like these energy producers and providers and power distributors that are using Bitcoin mining as an operationally augmentative technology that is just boosting their already current operations, um, they can afford to 
earn Bitcoin and stack it. And if they don't need to sell it in order to fund their operations, like it does nothing but boost their balance sheets. So just like keep that in mind. Like this is really, really bullish. Another interesting bullish recent development that I just came across. Some people may have already thought about this or talked about it, but apparently the ETFs are now inviting banks and other market makers to participate in the launch of the ETFs because what they changed it to was cash buy-in versus BTC trade-in for shares. So the way the ETF prospectuses were originally written, they had authorized participants that had to go into the market, buy Bitcoin, trade the Bitcoin to the ETF for shares in the ETF. Well, they've changed that to cash. So uh, participants are now being encouraged to buy the shares or get issued the shares from the ETF trusts with U.S. dollars instead of Bitcoin. That removes a massive, massive hurdle because a lot of these institutions are not prepared. They don't know anything about how to buy Bitcoin. They don't, you know, they're not equipped to do it. They don't have the expertise to do it. They don't have the rails to do it. Uh, and this is going to make it I think a lot easier for many more market makers to access these ETFs. So at the end of the day, assuming they're not just making stuff up out of thin air and they're actually buying Bitcoin, that should have a pretty substantial impact on these things. I know it could be a, a tinfoil hat take, but that's just still kind of makes me weary. It seems like there's, more room there for funny business to happen, but um, I haven't looked into it super deeply, so maybe I'm wrong, but I just, I don't know. To me, I liked the idea of it being more directly tied to actually having to move Bitcoin around, even if it would have created some more friction in the, the early days. I mean, do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I agree. I mean, <laughs> I really don't trust these guys, right? So... I, I, uh, I'm, I'm very suspicious as well, but we don't know. Like I, I'm curious to find out, um, how they're going to maintain transparency on where they're getting the Bitcoin from, how they're getting it. If they're going to be providing addresses for the public to monitor, to verify the amount of Bitcoin that these ETFs are holding. Um, I think that would go a very long way for people to have confidence that they actually have the Bitcoin that they say they have versus just sort of making up paper Bitcoin um, and and layering that 100x, levering it up 100x on top of the underlying asset like they've already done in the gold market for a very long time. Uh, so I share your concerns, Macro. I think they're valid. Uh, and I'm looking forward to them being transparent, hopefully, in, in how they're doing this and, and the amount that they're holding in a way that we can verify. There's probably more knowledgeable companies like ARC, I think. So like Kathy Wood gets it. So I, I probably see them as the first to leverage technology like the like crypto, cryptographic proof of reserves and stuff because she just gets it. And then over time, the other companies will be forced to be more transparent. Will they though? I don't know. Um a lot of it is is just the marketing machine and relying upon the idea that people don't actually read the prospectuses and they don't dig any deeper than, oh, BlackRock's doing this, so it must be okay. Like the evidence of that is pretty obvious. If you look at the gold industry, for example, gold ETFs, some of them 
um, have pretty robust proof of reserves and they, they have prospectuses written in a way where it's, it's very hard to game it, but others do not. And the ones that do not, they just have huge marketing machines behind them because they're massive traditional finance entities. Uh, and the size of them is very, very different. Like the, the pure physical Bitcoin ETFs, like the Sprott, for example, um, I mean, they're orders of magnitude smaller than the big than the big GLD, for example. So I guess we'll see um, how that turns out. The ones that have the um, harder to game systems, do those end up having a, a slightly higher fee than the big mega um, financial institution ones? I, I haven't really looked at like the differences between gold ETF fees. I don't know. I'm sure you have. Yeah, some of them do, but um, I don't think that that's the 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 predominant factor there you know the ones that are buying the ones that they feel are more transparent and believe that the underlying asset is actually there um they're they're usually the people who are buying those are the ones who've done the homework they don't just they don't just trust that the that the underlying assets are there and i think in the case of gld most people just assume that it's all legit yeah, but I mean, Bitcoin's a lot easier to audit. You just publish an XPUB. You know, you can we sign. know that. Yeah. Does the common person who's going to be buying uh, spot Bitcoin ETFs know that? Do they? <laughs> I mean, are they going to do the research to figure that out? Do they care? I don't know. I guess we're going to see. I guess one thing it's it's kind of hard to get order of magnitude of of interest ahead of time but like the last time we had a big run I think there's I've seen some pretty good breakdowns where there was somewhere between 5 and 10 billion that was coming in from institutions in 2021 that moved it from call it 17 20k up to 70k if we have 5 to 10x from that trying to come in now with still an even less liquid market then you would expect it to pretty quickly go to somewhere between 250 and 500 K per. And if we don't see something like that happen, then I would say there's more likely it's more likely that some kind of funny business is going on, but it's pretty challenging to analyze that in an objective way. When you have um, basically an asset liability mismatch, it's like, you don't know what the liabilities are. What are they telling people? Oh yeah, you've got a hundred Bitcoin in your account, just like FTX said, but they're not actually buying it on the back end. So I don't know. I just I really hope that there's enough transparency in enough of them that they at least feel compelled to all have some level of disclosure of the assets they're holding versus their liabilities. But I I just I keep going back to tinfoil hat zone where I'm like, I don't know. I just I don't trust any of this. I don't like the idea of it. The the one thing that I like about it is I know it's gonna to some degree pump my bags, but <laughs> I just I'm a little worried that they're going to try to use regulatory pressure to just silo everybody into the Bitcoin walled garden of ETFs. And, and that's how they're going to try to attack it. Yeah. Well, if you look at the language that, that um, going back to what you were asking before about this bill that, that Senator Warren is proposing, essentially um, there's, there's definitely an attack vector on, on self custody, right? They're, they're, they're not like, 
I, I don't think that, that the bill necessarily kills self-custody, but it definitely um, creates some massive red flags. So if they're, if they're trying to silo all that off and herd people into these ETFs, uh, that makes a great deal of sense. I mean, those two things happening simultaneously. I said it earlier this week. One of the guys in our um, Bitcoin veterans chat groups said it, Gary Krause, earlier this week. American HODL just came out and said the same thing. I mean, it's it's it seems pretty obvious at this point that that might be a might be a thing. Dombe. Yeah, I know. I talked about this yesterday, and I've still been looking for it, but. You know, Coinbase with their their stand with crypto, whole little like mobilized government interactions and all that stuff. I haven't seen anything from them on Warren's uh, bill. And it's kind of like, you know, again, that bill, like you were saying, Alex, it doesn't kill <clears throat> kill self-custody, but it requires, I believe, a money uh, transmitting like license. Uh and tries to hurt everything as as money transmission, uh, and so I'm really curious why they haven't mentioned anything when most other bills that have come out touching any aspect of digital assets they have been very aggressive. I've gotten emails that said like, "Call your local senator now." I haven't seen anything from them on Warren's bill. Nothing. Yeah, I mean, part of it is they're trying to force anybody basically involved in the ecosystem to KYC their their counterparties, which is literally impossible to do. Like, if you're a miner, you can't KYC the counterparties. If you're if you're providing infrastructure for uh, doing transactions, you can't KYC your counterparties. If you're if you're running a node, they're calling them validators, right? If you're, I think they're calling them validators. If you're running a node to verify, then you can't KYC all of the people in those transactions. It's literally impossible to do. So anybody who's facilitating transactions, um, the way this stuff is proposed, if be, if it becomes law, it could make a lot of that activity essentially illegal. And that's what we had. We had um, Zach on here, I think it was yesterday, from the Bitcoin Policy Institute, they are full court press going up against that stuff now. So go check out Bitcoin Policy Institute, see how you can get involved um, and figure out what are the best ways to push against this, to notify your legislature, legislators that this stuff is that they're proposing is, is A, impractical, B, very, to, in my opinion, it's impossible to enforce at scale. However, it does give them um, the room to basically name anybody who's doing it as a criminal uh, and go after whoever they want for doing so. Exactly. And again, impossible, impractical, impractical. But think about like, you know, I know a lot of us orange pill, a lot of our family and stuff. And like, imagine if there's extra steps now, you know, where you're like telling them, hey, don't keep your Bitcoin on some you know, main exchange or don't you, the ETFs, you self custody. And they're like, okay, how should I do that? Well, you can't get it on the app store anymore, but you have to download this thing and, and then do this and this. And they go, mm, I'm busy. I'm just going to hold it on Coinbase or on an exchange or, um, you know, that's, that's where they can win some bodies. Yeah. Or if they can just scare people, right? Like the typical tactic that the lizards take is they just scare the crap out of people. They know it works, right? They've been testing this for years, going all the way back to, I mean, every single um, 
I'm calling them false flags that we've seen over the years. Every single little thing that supposedly was legit, but it turns out, oh, um, <laughs> maybe it was actually lizards doing this stuff. They it it scares people into compliance and into certain types of behaviors, and that's what they want. If you take somebody who doesn't understand self custody in Bitcoin, who doesn't understand how to create a transaction in a self-sovereign way who doesn't understand how to broadcast a transaction in a self-sovereign way and tell them if you start participating in that ecosystem you're a criminal unless you kyc your counterparties which is really impossible that could scare the crap out of a whole bunch of people for sure elizabeth warren should say in her next thing we don't want you we want your uncle when it comes to their engagement with digital assets We've got Alex Thorne coming on the show tomorrow. We're going to deep dive the Senator Warren proposals. Uh, so Macro, if you want to come back for that one, we're going, to, we're going to dig in with that guy about all of this stuff. I want to welcome to the stage Alex Vetsky. What's up, my man? What's up, brother? How you doing? Good to be here. Doing fantastic. We are in full on then they fight you mode. We're discussing a lot of this kind of stuff. We're discussing uh, the various different attack vectors that are coming up as well as what we as Bitcoiners and sovereign individuals can do about it. Interesting. Um, how can I be of service? Well, my man, you do just I need a gun? You. Do I need to go shoot someone? <laughs> uh, <laughs> we don't talk about that. We don't, we, we don't encourage <laughs> violence. Just saying. That's my job to encourage violence. <laughs> um, Give me, give me just one second. I've just got to go sort something out and I'll be back with you in one minute, okay? Yeah, no worries. I did have one comment real quick, just on the language they use that just kind of pisses me off. Um, they use the term unhosted wallets all the time. And if you actually really think about that, it's basically saying that you as an individual are not even like a valid entity right? It's like, no, the wallet's not unhosted. I'm hosting it. It's my fucking wallet, you know? And it just, I was thinking about that the other day. I was like, this is such just, um, I don't know, top-down authoritarian bullshit language that pisses me off sometimes. Just the way, it just kind of gives a reflection of, you know, what they actually think about individuals and individual sovereignty, you know? Well, they're, there's, they're using language to frame people who want to be free and self-sovereign as criminals essentially like you aren't you aren't trustable is really what they're trying to do is say that these people are untrustworthy because they're trying to do stuff that circumvents or goes outside of our approved systems of control and at the end of the day it's all about systems of control that's what's going on here they want to maintain the control that they have had for decades and decades and decades now and you know, I, I think most Bitcoiners appreciate freedom, appreciate the idea that we can have self-sovereign money, that we can transact with each other without their approval. And this is the part that I think freaks them out the most. Yeah. Can I, can I go on my responsibility rant here? Absolutely. Please do. Yeah, because like I think it's less about the freedom piece here. It's more about the um, responsibility piece here. So like control freaks, um, you know, and this is sort of the bureaucratic managerial class is um, – you know, they're, they're like, I mean, it reminds me of, you know, that petty HR retard that, you know, works at, you know, your usual, um, you know, corporate company. And they, they, they exist 
for no other reason than to just get in the way of people that don't do anything, that don't produce anything, um, that don't create anything. And they've just got to like micromanage and control and like, you know, it's, it's almost like a projection of their own inadequacy, right? Like they're, they're, you know, they're usually fat. They're usually unhealthy. They usually have nothing else going on. You know, their marriage is broken or whatever, like all this other crap going on internally. And because they have zero control and take zero responsibility for all of the chaos that's going on in their own life, they project that irresponsibility onto everybody else. And look, granted, sometimes they're right. Like there are, you know, I'm well known for saying this. There's NPCs out there who don't, who, who can't take responsibility for anything. There's many, many, many of those. They're just like the government harder daddy kind of people, right? And, you know, granted, there is many of those, you know, and what do you do about those people? I don't know. That's a separate question. But the issue is when you've got people who are fucking adults, like people who can take responsibility for things, you know, people who say, look, dude, I just, I want to spend my money in the fucking way that I want, not the way that, you know, some overly psychotic, you know, mama bear, like, you know, Senator Warren is like decides that I should spend my money. That That is an infantile approach to, uh, you know, civilization. This is, I think, one of the biggest issues with uh, modern civilization. It's not that we have a lack of freedom. It's we, we gave up responsibility first. And in doing so, then the result, the payment is a lack of freedom. It, it doesn't, you don't, you don't remove people's freedoms. This is, I think everybody misses this. And, you know, everyone talks about freedom, 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 freedom. It's not the fucking point. The, the, the tip of the spear is the responsibility piece. You remove someone's responsibility from something, you then by default take away their, um, freedom and you know this is this is what one of you know my favorite things about bitcoin is that when you when you acquire bitcoin when you hold it when you self-custody it when it's yours it is you know and i wrote about this last year or whatever it was you know responsibility go up technology or responsibility money it's you take the responsibility back on you lose your fucking bitcoin well there's no 1-800 satoshi line to call to ask for your money back like it's it's gone and you know as much as that you know, moron, uh, whoever tweeted last week was like, I think it was the Wikipedia dude or whatever it was, um, you know, saying, oh, you know, banks work because you can get your money back when something goes wrong. Yeah, bro. That's exactly what, you know, that, that is the, that is the infantilization of civilization that is happening right there. And he's cheering that on like a moron. Um, and that's the stuff that drives me crazy. Um, and I think, you know, it's the, it's the fact that, you know, everyone in the world, I shouldn't say that, that's too blanket. Like the, the consciousness in the world today is far more one of an adolescent than it is uh, one of adults. And, you know, we're all, we're all guilty of that to some degree. You know, I, I was guilty of that well into my early 30s, um, you know, acting like a kid, didn't give a shit about stuff. And, you know, hopefully, hopefully the pendulum is swinging the other way and people are trying to be more responsible for stuff. But I think the, the rallying cry should be more about, taking back responsibility uh, as opposed to yelling, kicking, screeching about freedom because, you know, you, you don't get one without the other. Agreed. Uh, it's the whole bad times make strong men thing. You have recently written a new article. Um, I want to dig into that with you here in a little bit. Before we do, I want to go with E-Velocity. Do you have a question or a comment? And then we'll go back to Alex. Okay, thanks. Um, yes, I had a question regarding your take on a potential vector, vector of attack, which I really, I never really considered before. Um, I read an article and um, 
So basically, now we have the main pool probably probably responsible for you know a good ninety nine percent of the transaction, and there is some rare out of band transaction that are sent directly to the miners that are, that are not transmitted in the mempool. So I was wondering, what if the you know what if we have authorities all around the world targeting the biggest uh, mining pools and forcing them to run a specific uh, software which basically bypass the mempool and then. Basically, if you want your transaction to be reaching the biggest mempools, you would need to use this permissioned API. Um, could that be something that is in the far future or you know mid-future possible as a vector of attack? What is your take on that? Who are you asking? Or are you just asking the um, panel? Yeah, the panel, uh, whoever thinks that they have some information or, or a take on that. I guess I can start by you, Alex, if other people don't sure okay so my my quick thought on that before we go back to alex here is that like the game theory i think would probably take care of itself meaning if sure the certain regulators could probably uh put pressure on known entities who are mining but anybody can mine and uh you're starting to see all of these various different changes occurring where uh miners can be more selective about what it is they're grabbing and processing. So I don't know. I think you what you'll see is is more decentralization of of the miners. That's what I think would happen. Mike, what do you think? I actually uh, was not going to respond to Evelocity's uh, question. I had something that was kind of pertaining to Spetsky's little um, rant or diatribe that we can we can use to go back to talking to him when you're ready, Alex. Yeah, okay. If nobody has any other points about what would happen if they start trying to um, control which which transactions get mined, we'll, we'll move on. I'll just say I think it's a fantastic question. Um, I don't have an answer for it. Uh, that's sort of above my pay grade. Um, I don't think it's as simple as um, oh, it'll take care of itself. Um, I think it's more complex than that for sure. Um, but yeah, I think Evelocity, I think that's a fantastic question. I think you should be bringing that up on a regular basis and asking people to start thinking about this shit because I think one of the weak spots um, that Bitcoiners often have, and we're all guilty of this, is that um, you know we, 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 we get sucked into the inevitability of Bitcoin and you know it's it's people who focus on these small details. And sometimes it's fucking annoying, you know, like people nitpicking shit and all this sort of stuff. Like I get that, but you know, in, in there sometimes there's like really important uh, elements that need to get solved and figured out. And yeah, I just want to say, great question. Um, I don't have an answer, but I mean, keep digging, man. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. Thanks for coming up and asking the question, E-Velocity. All right. Um, <clears throat> let's see. We've got about 30 minutes now. Is it 30? Yeah, about 30 minutes before we've got BJ Poyapati coming on. So let's talk a little bit about this article, Alex, if you don't mind. Um, you've got a new article that you've just dropped. Uh, there's some very interesting segments of it that I took some notes on. But do you want to give us kind of a brief summary? Where can people find this thing? And then, um, you know, we can dig in a little bit. For sure. Um, people can find it on bitcointimes.io um, or just uh, go, go to my link, actually, um, on my Twitter in my bio, you see my link tree and it's a top article uh, inside my link tree. It just says Bitcoin and Nietzsche. So I guess the 
the premise of the article is like, I don't know, it's almost, um, it's almost a, an extension on the, on the remnant series I did a couple of years ago. Um, that obviously, you know, ruffled a bunch of feathers, but it, it sort of became a meme of its own because people started seeing this sort of differentiation between people who beca- behave like NPCs and people who behave uh, like individuals with agency. You know, and I, I used a lot of like uh, movie imagery in there, things like, you know, the matrix and, you know, how you only unplug some people and, you know, but I think it was echoed by people like Malay recently. He's like, I'm not trying to wake up the sheep. I'm trying to wake up the lions. Well, I'm not speaking to the sheep. I'm trying to wake up the lions. And that was the premise of that piece. And I guess this is a, is a more mature take because, you know, the, the remnant piece was fiery and this, this one I guess is still, but, um, you know, I draw a lot from Nietzsche's work here and I kind of fell down the Nietzsche rabbit hole, uh, earlier this year when I was, um, finishing up my Bushido of Bitcoin and I just found some just really fucking powerful nuanced thinking there. Um, and you know, he, he, he's, he's the classic, like, man, he just, he pisses everybody off. He pisses everyone from conservatives to Christians to leftists to um, to feminists to, to monarchists to everybody. Like he, he's the ultimate troll. Like if he was alive today, he'd be on Twitter just like basically subtweeting people, calling him dorks and losers and all sorts of shit. Like the guy's fucking hilarious. You know, he comes out in you know the the peak of Western civilization in Europe at the time, and like you know he he goes on. And attacks like the great philosophers at the time, calling them losers and dorks and morons. And, um, you know, writes this incredible set of like philosophic treatises that basically tear apart all their arguments and just basically says that, hey, you know, Western civilization is suffering from a cancer. None of you morons can see it. But in the next hundred uh, years, we're going to devolve into a civilization of what he called last men. And what he what he meant by the last men was, you know, NPCs basically. That's the way we would think about it today. Like he predicted the NPCs long before anybody else did. And he predicted it based on this idea that ideals such as equalitarianism, democracy, communism, etc., had started to seep into the psychology of Western society. He was like prophetic and prescient in his sort of uh, understanding of this. So anyway, I, I wanted to draw some of uh, – some parallels between, you know, what his predictions, the way he saw the world um, and what I think of as Bitcoin in, in, sorry, how I think of Bitcoin as a catalyst uh, toward making the more optimistic side of his uh, arguments a possibility, which is, you know, he said in the age of the last man, the, a new archetype will rise up, which is the Ubermensch, you know, the overman, the, the new man, the, the great archetype, you know, the person who will uh, transform civilization and be the, um, the being that represents the next um, evolution of uh, humankind. And it's, um, you know, it's big words, it's lofty words, but, um, you know, I kind of joked at it in, a, in an article a couple of years ago when I did Fire Bitcoin Teleportation and I talked about how man, you know, I'm looking at society and I'm seeing, you know, these people on the one hand, you know, NPCs wearing, you know, 12 masks and, you know, on a jab subscription every six weeks, like, you know, eating, uh, you know, bugs and living in a pod. Like these people are fundamentally going to evolve differently to Bitcoiners who are like, you know, getting sunshine, eating meat, lifting weights, saving their money in Bitcoin, having kids and all this sort of shit. I was like, man, we're going to evolve into homo hystericus, 
and Homo Bitcoinicus, like two literally different people. And I joked about it then. And like, you know, when I found Nietzsche's work, I was like, fuck, this guy kind of figured this shit out 150 years before the rest of us. And like he saw it at that time. And, um, and yeah, I just wanted to do like a homage to his work um, and tie it in with, uh, with my, you know, unpopular Bitcoin beliefs um, so we can dig into those. But anyway, that's, a, that's an overview. Oh, you're cracking me up. <laughs> homo hystericus. <laughs> homo hystericus versus oh, homo God. bitcoinicus. Oh my God. All right, let's <laughs> let's dig in a little bit on the content. So um in the very beginning of this thing, you're talking about one of the great physicists and engineering minds of our time, Vaclav Smills, basically saying uh that energy is the universal currency serves as the fundamental unit that powers all interactions, processes, and transformations in the universe. I love this. I agree with it 100%. I've, I've thought of Bitcoin in terms of stored energy and energy in motion and the ability to transfer energy, which is basically the ability to do work from one point on the planet to the other point of the planet at the speed of light at almost no cost, and then deploy it over there. Like, the, the the pure physicists, when they hear me talk about this stuff, they lose their shit. They hate that. But, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, that makes complete and utter sense to me. Can you speak to this a little bit? I was about to say you sound like Michael Saylor. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, we, we I think we all get that. And I think this is why the, the energy money meme has taken off because it, um, it makes sense. It's, you know, it's a metaphor, like just, just for the people who want to fucking nitpick at this, we get it. It's a fucking metaphor. Right. But you know, if we, if we, you know, look at what all language is really, you know, all language is a metaphor to some degree. And, you know, some metaphors are closer to, you know, literal reality than others are. And, you know, metaphors help you understand stuff. And I think, the metaphor of energy money and kind of money representing some combination of time, energy, and subjective value, etc., is, is is pretty accurate. Like we're never gonna we, we don't really know. I mean, you know, this whole like essay was written for the Bitcoin Times, which this year is the energy edition. So I've got like incredible pieces in there from Drew Armstrong where he like he he sits there and ponders for fucking eight thousand words, like the nature of entropy and time and energy, like what do these things mean? And like, we don't have an answer for it. Like we, we can, we can harness energy, we can harvest it, we can channel it, we can do all this stuff, but we can't touch it. We don't know what it is. Like we can't create it. We, you know, we, like when, when you touch energy, like go, go and go, go stand under a fucking lightning bolt and touch energy and you see what happens. Like you become one with the energy once again, right? Like it's a, it's a, it's this, you know, primordial substance or quality. We don't even know how to define it. Right. And, and, you know, money serves as a, as a mechanism for us to, in some way, shape or form, interact or transmit or use or channel or harvest or whatever word you want to place in there, uh, energy. And, you know, you could say time as well, but in many ways, you know, time is uh, uh, inextricably linked to energy. It's like, you know, the, the arrow of time is in the direction of uh, entropy, right? And entropy is once again... Uh, sort of like the the other side of the coin to energy. So it's like these things are all interrelated, and that's why I think the meme uh, is so powerful. But um, I mean, that, that's I'll shut up there for a second. That's me talking to it. I don't think we've got any clearer on anything. Okay. Well, one thing that is interesting 
about what you wrote here to me is that you say here that the quality of the money is a reflection of the quality of the culture and the civilization it enables. So soft, easy, low-quality money makes for a soft, cheap, low-quality society. Conversely, sound, hard, high-quality money makes for a strong, functional, and high-quality society. Can you back that up? What do you mean when you when you say that? Well, we should go like so this this is the this section of the essay follows where I make those um those axiomatic claims, right? Like energy is something you can't create or destroy. Well, fundamentally Bitcoin mirrors that. So I make a couple axiomatic um claims about Bitcoin and its relationship to energy and therefore substantiate why Bitcoin is a big deal because energy is also a big deal. But then I'm move into this idea of quality versus quantity. And in my mind, um, this is the big, um, uh, call it spectrum, that matters, right? And, you know, things like, uh, like I, I've got a piece that went, um, went live in Bitcoin Magazine's latest print, and, I, and it's literally called uh, Quality or Equality, Which Way Western Man? And I think these things are divergent. And quantity and equality kind of sit in the same realm or the same um they, they they live on the same side of the spectrum which is when you you know in 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 the world we we have like let, let me let me explain it this way by by example of how the world functions today we we are living in the pandemic of quantity right we have excessive quantity of everything we have uh Fucking mass social media, mass likes, like you know, our friendships now are like digital friendships that are uh, quantitatively uh, measured on how many followers or likes we have and shit like that on social media. We have you know mass media on television. We have mass television. We have mass shows. We have mass plastics, mass food, mass fucking entertainment. We have you know mass money quantitative money like everything gets printed out of thin air we have like everyone's a fucking blogger and a writer these days apparently so we have mass content being produced like what happens is the more and more the quantity gets inflated uh the more the quality uh gets eroded and this is this is a, a difficult balance because you know quantity can be good but if the entire focus is towards quantity, you, you develop a civilization or culture of, uh, of midwits, right? But, but, I mean, even the midwit meme itself, think about it, like the middle of the bell curve is where all the quantity is and the quality is on the, on the edges. It is, you know, quality by definition is, a, uh, is an exception, not a norm. And I, as I was writing this, I just something you know, interesting hit me was um, you look at fiat money. Fiat money is a quantitative money. Like, what do they do? They just keep increasing the quantity of money. And it's even in the language. Like, I've been on such an etymology um, deep dive because ever since I started writing uh, the Bushido of Bitcoin. And, you know, let's look at the word quantitative easing. <laughs> what does it literally mean? You, you are easing, you're making easier the ability to increase the quantity of the money. Therefore, decreasing the quality of the money like bitcoin on the on the flip side and this is you know what's for me fundamentally unique about it is that it is quantitatively fixed you cannot change the quantity that is so fucking profound like when you stop for a minute and think about what that means is like okay if you have a quantitatively fixed amount here and more and more people are interested in it they they perceive value in it what's the the only 
uh, factor that's going to move is the quality of it. And the longer, uh, the, the more time that passes, the more that quality uh, will fundamentally increase, will enhance because you are not fucking with uh, the um, the quantity. So you you know, on the one hand, like the fiat paradigm itself and the, par- the, the 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 global paradigm that we live in right now is one of incessant quantitative easing across every single dimension. Like you know, I mean, even all this AI crap that's you know floating around. Like what's happening is like you're just having you know, a, an excessive quantity of just shit being spewed out now, not only by NPCs that, you know, used to be human typing on a keyboard. Now you have NPCs in the form of AIs just, you know, producing content. It's like it's quantity. Whereas the quality, like the Bitcoin paradigm is one of the quantity is fixed, the quality uh, increases. So you have qualitative hardening instead of quantitative easing. And, and, and I love that um, difference. And that was something I wanted to really drive home in the essay. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense to me because all of that really just encourages high time for preference, kind of I want it all now, instant gratification kind of behaviors versus doing the hard thing, doing the hard work, doing what's uncomfortable, making yourself stronger uh, and not settling for crap. And interestingly, because of, because of, the fixed quantity nature of Bitcoin, I think, as you know, it changes people's behavior over time to seek quality because you're not just going to let the Bitcoin go for whatever. And to me, that part is also one of the most powerful aspects of Bitcoin. And it's, it's unique in that the human race hasn't seen it before. And because of that, it's just so, so hard for people to wrap their minds around. And to me, that fixed quantity nature of Bitcoin, it creates its own mass. It creates its own gravity. It's almost like a, a it's almost like a, a black hole. You, have you seen that, that um, meme? I love this meme where it's like Bitcoin is a singularity and it's sucking in all of this quantitative easing fiat money over time. I love that one. I, I, I have seen the meme and I think let, let's just unpack what, um, you know, how, how sort of quality is determined, right? Like uh, I, I read a fantastic tweet yesterday from a guy who runs like a, like a fatherhood account. And, you know, he talks about, you know, love is not an inclusive uh, emotion. Love is an exclusive emotion. And his, his point on that was, you know, you, you have to choose, um, who to uh, love and that that happens at the exclusion of just you know openly loving uh, everybody said so you can openly respect everybody you can openly be kind to people but the people who deserve your love is like you know your wife your children um, you know the, the people that uh, tie, that have some sort of relationship and tie to you and and I think if you think about what this means from a um, qualitative perspective it's like you know you you, you have one mother and one father, right? Um, you know, you, you ideally have one wife, like you, you can't just print another one, right? So they are, they are ultimately qualitatively, uh, important because there's a singular quantity of that similar to life. We hold life extremely precious because as far as we know, um, you know, this is our one shot at it. Um, whatever happens afterwards is, you know, conjecture, but you know, it's precious. It's, uh, it's, it's of utmost quality. Uh, because its quantity is fixed, and you know, Bitcoin there is like 
it is extraordinarily special in a sense that of all of the uh, objects that are that are out there that are that are non um, you know that that don't possess a soul, for example, um, it is one of the rare things that is qualitatively fixed. So you you don't want to just like lose it. And and this is to me one of the beautiful things about how um, you know pe- people always argue about oh you know you should oh you know you should huddle Bitcoin. No 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 you should spend Bitcoin. And you know oh it's like you know the argument sort of ends up devolving into uh, who who believes what. It's like, oh, these people are fucking stupid because they tell you to hodl and these people are stupid because they tell you to spend all. It's like, no, no, no. Nobody's telling you to do anything. It's like Bitcoin inherently incentivizes uh, saving just by virtue of its, its existence because it's a qualitative uh, money. It's a, it's a qualitative thing, right? So people are just less likely inherently to spend it until they need to, until they find something of more uh, immediate value or higher immediate quality. Like, for example, you know, I, I disagree with keeping 100% of your Bitcoin locked up forever for your fucking kids. No, like you live one life. At some point, you should take some Bitcoin. Fundamentally, you should sell some Bitcoin and go and enjoy your goddamn life. Like go and, go and do something beautiful. Spend some of it. Don't be a fucking miser. Like, you know, my, my dad taught me this in all like he, he was a warning, not an example, is that he he was a miser all his life and now, you know, he's in his probably last couple of years, whatever, you know, he's in his mid late seventies. And, you know, he's he's now finally enjoying his money when uh, he he can't really enjoy it properly. And like these are anyway, it's it's just we could go off for hours on, you know, quality here, but I just think it's a it's an important um, important thing to think about. Qu- quality over uh, quantity or equality for that matter. Okay, moving on then. If we want a strong society, this is coming from your article, if we want a strong society with competent people who are doing their best, we must reward strength, competence, and those individuals who are best in their chosen vocation. You want to unpack that a little bit? Yeah, how about how about you read the um, the more triggering sentence, and then we can because we don't have a lot of time before VJ gets on. <laughs> you read it. Go ahead. You read it. I don't. I don't have it in front of me. No, um, no that one in front of me either. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Okay. Hold on. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna make me do this. Where are we? Okay. There's another part I got here. Maybe this is it. When I talk about strength, I am not talking about the man who steps on the ant and calls himself a hero. I'm not speaking of the heads of central banks, petty politicians, and meddling bureaucrats who exist only to suck the wealth out of the system. These people are too weak to actually build something. So they lie, cheat, and steal from others. They are the most dangerous kind. The weak who have access to power by fiat. Yeah, it's um that is that is another one, but that is not the triggering one. That is a uh, that is <laughs> part of that is <laughs> that is that is part of my justification of the triggering one. So I have the triggering one here. I say most people think that Bitcoin's greatest contribution will be to lift the masses up and quote unquote help the weak. And I then I say while that will likely occur, but not for the reasons you think it will. Uh, it's my unpopular belief that the more important contribution and impact to mankind will be that Bitcoin makes the strongest stronger, the best better, and the most powerful more powerful. And then I qualify that even afterwards. I say, I can already feel you squirming as you read that line, so please read it again and allow me to clarify where this is a good thing and of utmost importance. Yes. And yeah. I, I can see how that would trigger some folks. 
It it will because like and, and I specifically my my words were chosen specifically. I didn't say make the strong stronger. I said the strongest stronger, and I said the best better and the most powerful more powerful. And and I mean that specifically because like I'll, I'll use a I'll use a, a fight analogy um, just to help people understand what I mean here. Is you know when you put two people in a ring, um, you don't go and uh, tie one opponent's hands behind his back so that the weaker guy has uh, you know the advantage and he beats him up right. Like the winner is the strongest or the best or the more powerful or the most skilled, whatever kind of like uh, dimension of best matters in in the context that you're measuring. But it's you want the best to win. You want the most powerful to win. And my whole uh, shtick about Bitcoin is that it's not about helping the weak. It's about helping the strong or the strongest. And my definition of strong is completely opposite to what how like we, we've been conditioned over the last 50 years through sort of leftist you know liberal leaning horseshit to believe that um there is virtue and weakness or something like that and there isn't like the the whole point of strength you know the definition of strength to me is that which can bear weight and another word for weight is responsibility and if we agree on what we discussed earlier about if you want freedom uh you know it starts with the responsibility what you need is you need strong people, you need leaders, you need people who have the capacity to bear responsibility. You need them to like you want those kind of people to um, lead communities, lead families, lead cities, lead nations, lead states, okay. whatever. Right. But on the on the triggering part of it, though, because uh-huh. and I'm sorry to cut you off, but we've only got a few minutes left, so I want to make sure no, people hear this part too. Is, is that there's going to be a lot of people. The reason that they're going to be triggered is, is in their mind they're thinking. Well, I'm not one of these strong people. What about me? Are you going to leave uh-huh. me behind? What happens to me? Why is it good for for the strong to the strongest to get stronger? How is that good for me? Glad you asked it. The whole point of it is that a rising tide uh, lifts all boats. If you put, if you, you incent, what you get more of what you incentivize. That's probably the the answer to that, right? Is if you incentivize civilization, if you create participation awards and you make that the goal, you'll just get a bunch of average participants and the people who otherwise should have been incentivized, you know, through merit, through effort, through being the best, they didn't get shit. And what ends up happening is that you skew civilization towards average and away from excellence. And my whole argument is that if you want to have a great civilization, if you want to have a great um, uh, a, a great society, you need to orient towards excellence. And those people, that the best will rise up. They will pull everybody else up with them. The alternative is you bring everybody else down to the lowest common denominator. You either have a, a you either have an ascendant civilization. Or you have a descendant civilization. And average is a descendant energy. Equality is a descendant energy. Excellence is an ascendant well, and, energy. And Alex, to that, to your point, that that system actually disincentivizes those that are capable of excellence from participating entirely. Like they're going to go elsewhere to where they're going to be valued and appreciated, and they, their success is like more enabled versus that kind of like you know, uh, a participation trophy kind of environment. Totally. Totally. And then, so, so you get, you get a brain dump. And, and I mean, I say this from experience, like I went back to Macedonia, my home country, uh, a number of years ago, and you literally have a civilization that, 
that that is full of like anyone with ambition, with integrity, with intelligence, with brains, with whatever, left the fucking country, and all you have left is a husk of parasitic peasant politician pieces of shit. Basically, I don't know what else to how else to describe them. Um, they're just like they, they they exist just by stealing whatever little bit of money is left. Then you have like. Um, the lazy people and the old people. That's it. it like you walk through so, the capital city, it's empty. It's a husk. When, when you so when you create a broken uh, incentive system, you end up with idiocracy, but just for real. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Hundred percent. And this is why, like, so my words might sound harsh on the on on the page, right? And and I say that to like you know my 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 writing is usually you know designed to like jolt people and to, to create a reaction because you, you don't want to just like read some bland AI shit, right? So I, I I put it there for a reason because like people have to recognize this. It's not about like, you know, later in the article I say like power power is agnostic. Power is not evil. We, this is another one of these brainwashing things that has happened over the years that we've convinced everybody that being average is good and that power is evil. And then what happens is you create a vacuum. The good, strong people who otherwise would have channeled power and you know d- done done something good with it, they shy away from it because they don't want to be positioned as evil or bad or whatever. And then what you create is a vacuum for the parasitic scumbags to channel power and to use power in the ways that they deem fit. And these people are disgusting people, the Christine Lagarde, the Yellens, and you know the, the Trudeaus of the world. Th- those people want it for power's sake, whereas power is agnostic like technology and the goal is for the strong to channel it. It is the weak who are corrupted by power, not uh, like power just doesn't, uh, just doesn't fucking corrupt everybody that it touches. It's not the way it works. So okay. I think this is um, it's like it's another important paradigm shift people's minds that they need to um they need to start to wake up to okay i just want to say alex the things you say are incredibly controversial to a lot of people i fucking love it i love when you do this um and i'm I'm really glad to have you as part of this uh sort of ecosystem and culture of bitcoin even though i mean you have your fans you also have people who don't like you so much but that's okay because when you have somebody who speaks very strongly about things that's what's going to happen uh, of course. All right. I want to welcome BJ Boyapati to the stage. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Hey, guys. It's uh, it's good to be with you. I just wanted to say it's really nice hearing your voice again, Alex. Yours as well. Um, okay. Hi. We're going to be switching over to talk about some stuff that BJ is working on here in just a moment. Before we do that, though, we have just a couple of moments left. I'd like to go with Don Bay, maybe Macro if we have time. Svetsky, give you a couple of moments to make some closing comments, uh, and then we'll switch over, Dom. Yeah, I was only going to say, and I, and if it was covered, I had to drop off for a second. But, you know, uh, Alex, as in A-L-E-X, you mentioned, what if you're listening to what Alex K.S. is saying and you're thinking, well, hey, I'm a weaker person. You know, this triggers me. There is room for the concept that, you know, Bitcoin draws the stronger traits out of weaker people and creates stronger people. And then therefore... Um, Alex KS, uh, you know, that that theory still holds true in that it benefits the strong and powerful. And, and it does that by making you stronger and more powerful. 100%. That's the whole fucking point. The triggering is the first step to getting stronger. Exactly. Okay. Thank you. You just said what I was thinking. Thank you, Mike. Fucking legend. Macro, 30 seconds. 
All right, I'll try to be quick on this one. So you mentioned earlier that uh, Nietzsche kind of figured this out maybe 150 years before everybody else that the uh, Western culture was going to decline. Um, he figured that out while you know they were still on a hard money standard, and and if money is the thing that kind of um, informs culture, then how do you think he figured out while they were still on a hard money standard that they were going to go downhill? It seems like culture is also upstream of money. It's yes. a bit of a chicken and egg thing, right? No, no, no. You you asked that is the best question, and Alex, I'll try to be quick on this. Like I grapple with this for about fifty pages in the Bushido of Bitcoin book, and I asked the question: Is like, is it really Bitcoin fixes this? And it's it's not a, it's not a clear answer. I do believe you know you do have a chicken and egg problem here with culture and money. I actually think the 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 problem is definitely cultural upstream, and this is why Nietzsche got it before many many did. The the thing is, it's kind of like um, it's kind of like the the money is when you discover the cancer, and then you ignore it and you just yolo, right? That's when we um, we start printing money. But the cancer itself stems from an upstream problem, which is you started eating seed oils, you started. Um, you know, living in a dark room and like, you know, whatever, whatever ends up causing you cancer, right? That shit happens upstream. And I do believe this is cultural. This is, this is, I think a big blind spot for Bitcoin is it's not that Bitcoin just fixes everything. Bitcoin has a positive impact because it, you know, changes people's relationship to time. And then that can have a positive impact on culture. But fundamentally speaking, the problem is, um, is upstream of the money first. You don't, you don't just, a strong civilization doesn't wake up just one morning and be like, oh, yeah, let's just start printing money. That doesn't happen that way. Something has to has to have preceded that uh, in order for us to get to that point. And then once the money printer starts, then you really start to get the effect. And, you know, we're, we're talking civilizational timescales. These aren't like this doesn't happen 20 years. This is a 100, 200, 300 uh, year process. So thank you so much for picking that up. Um, I think that's such, such an insightful point. Um, like I, I, I kind of grapple with it in this essay. So if people want to, as I said, go read it, they can, um, just jump on my, uh, sub stack in, in the link in my bio and they can check it out. But, um, yeah, Alex, closing thoughts. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm going to jump into the, um, into the audience and listen. If anyone wants to read more of this stuff, I really recommend, uh, the Bitcoin Times, the energy edition is available for pre-order now. So you can buy it, sats only. Um, it's got pieces from uh, Marty Bent, from Drew Armstrong, from Andrew Myers, from Gideon Powell, uh, obviously from myself and from – I'm missing someone. Uh, my, uh, Brian Gitt uh, on Nuclear. It's like a full deep dive. It's one of the best things you'll read on the relationship between Bitcoin and energy. And it's kind of like looking at Bitcoin through a lens of energy and energy – through a lens of Bitcoin, follows on from the Austrian edition last year, which had safe and all the, um, you know, Pierre and Goldstein and everything. So recommend people go check that out. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Awesome. Thanks for being here, ladies and gentlemen, Alex Fetsky. <clears throat> all right. Uh, shifting gears. We have BJ Boyapati. By the way, BJ, I'm just going to fanboy on you a little bit. I've read your book, The Bullish Case for Bitcoin. It had a massive, massive impact on me um, as I was going down the rabbit hole trying to figure out what the hell Bitcoin was, particularly the part about the phases that a free market money moves through uh, as a collectible uh, and then as a store of value and then as a medium of exchange and finally as a unit of account. There's so much nonsense that is spouted out there by uh, fiat fiat economists and people who basically say, you know, 
well, this isn't true because, but the but they don't understand that they're comparing it to fiat, and fiat is by decree. You can by decree if you're a government make a form of money, all of these things simultaneously, whether the people want to agree with it or not. Uh, and if free people choose these things, it takes an entirely different path. Uh, and it was completely fascinating to me, blew my mind, been a big fan ever since. So thanks so much for coming today. Uh, what's going on, man? Hey, thanks, Alex. I really appreciate the the kind words. And I feel a little sad that I came in at the end of that discussion. It's super fascinating. Um, I love hearing Alex talk. And I, I just wanted to say, I feel like Murray Rothbard is probably looking down and very proud of Alex. Uh, he, Murray Rothbard wrote an essay, uh, goodness, almost 50 years ago called Egalitarianism as a Revolt Against Nature. And and I feel like uh, Alex was really channeling that uh, that energy, and it was really cool to hear just the end of his talk. But I, I appreciate the kind words, and uh, you're right. I, I think you know my book was written in a different context, uh, maybe less obvious to people today. But we're going through the block size wars, and um, uh, there was this huge debate about whether Bitcoin should be or was a store of value or whether it was a medium of exchange. And the, the group of people fighting for the big block size said, no, money is first and foremost a medium of exchange. That's what it should be, and we need to design Bitcoin as such. And I really thought they mistook the fact that money goes through an evolutionary process. Money doesn't instantly become the thing that you go to the grocery store and buy bread and milk with. Like gold Gold was not picked up and people sort of walked into a grocery store and said, you know, give me, give me some bread. That's not how it works. Uh, so I, I thought that was a really important thing to clear up and to help people understand that Bitcoin has to go through that evolution too. It needs to become widely held as something that people want as savings before it can be used widely in exchange. Um and uh, I think that narrative has changed quite a lot. I think people are recognizing now that uh, it's going to take time for Bitcoin to to become a widely held store of value. Uh, and then I think it, it will become suitable as a medium of exchange because the opportunity cost of relinquishing Bitcoin in exchange is incredibly high when it has so much extra purchasing power that it could uh, increase by in the future. Uh, and that, that's a that's a, a function of the fact that its adoption is still very low. It's you know it's in the single digit percentage uh, worldwide, and there's still an at least an order of magnitude more people who will need to hold it as savings before that opportunity cost drops significantly, and it it becomes much more stable in purchasing power, and it becomes very suitable for use as a medium of exchange. That's fantastic. Uh, for those of you who have not read the book, highly recommend it. The Bullish Case for Bitcoin by BJ Boyapati. Uh, go check it out. It's, in my opinion, it should be, it, it's critical reading if you want to understand what Bitcoin is and, and you're on that pathway. So, uh, VJ, you, you've recently uh, joined Swan Bitcoin. So, A, congratulations. Uh, and B, I'm super stoked <laughs> because Swan is this really weird place where, um, 
you get to work with people who in some ways are like, uh, you know, people that you've read and looked up to and um, learned a great deal from in this space. So uh, if you don't mind sharing what uh, what led you to that and uh, why are you doing that, man? Yeah, so it was a little bit of serendipity. Corey sent me an email a few months ago and said, oh, I'd like to chat with you. And I had no idea why, just kind of out of the blue. I thought like maybe Swan was like raising money for, you know, its growth or actually more likely that um, Corey wanted to invite me to speak at Pacific Bitcoin and which I obviously would have accepted because it's such a cool conference. Um, but when, uh, when I got on the Zoom call with him, Jan was also there, which I thought was a little odd. I was like, huh, why is Jan here? Uh, and they asked me about a job that I'd you know, I, I didn't really maintain my LinkedIn page. I, it, the last job listed there is from like seven years ago. And they asked me about that and they asked, How, how's that going? And I thought, that's a little weird. <laughs> uh, and then Corey just came out and said, do you want to join Swan? And uh, I was shocked. I d- did not expect that they were going to ask me to join the company. And, you know, I, I've, I've been interested in Bitcoin for a long time now, over a decade and I've always been supportive of companies that are Bitcoin only. And I actually wrote a tweet thread on this about, I think it was four or five years ago, that there was a huge missed opportunity by companies in the space by pursuing what I think is a horizontal business strategy, which means that they support as many shit coins as possible because that's the, the easiest low-hanging fruit is just to collect trading fees when people gamble between these shit coins. And I, I said, I think this is a huge missed opportunity because I think the big financial opportunity is building a vertically integrated financial stack on top of Bitcoin. And there's a there's a whole bunch of reasons. And one of, one of the reasons is there's an opportunity cost of spreading your employees really thin across all of these different shit coins, most of which will not exist in a few years. And at the time, there were very few companies that were doing this. And uh, as fate had it, just a couple of months after I wrote that thread, I, I don't think I was the influence, but just a couple of months after Corey started Swan. Uh, and I think it's just so fantastic that we now have companies that are Bitcoin only and are sort of heeding this advice that there is a big financial opportunity to build a financial stack on top of Bitcoin. Uh, so Swan, uh, I, I didn't know much about it when Corey offered me a job. I, I, I knew it was Bitcoin only and I supported it because of that, but I spoke to a whole bunch of people at the company. And what I realized was that, uh, Corey and, uh, and Jan, uh, and Brady had assembled one of the best teams in the space, like incredible, incredibly talented people. Um, and I also learned that Swan is not just Bitcoin only in its mission and its product, but it's Bitcoin only uh, within the company. Like it has a policy that they won't hire anyone but Bitcoiners, which I thought was awesome. Um, It gave me uh, an opportunity to work with just Bitcoiners, which is really exciting in and of itself. And Corey actually, I had dinner with him uh, a few months later at Pacific Bitcoin and uh, he told me this funny story how they had this engineering candidate who was an excellent candidate, an excellent engineer. And Corey asked him what his favorite episode of uh, the Stefan Lavera podcast was. And the guy was like, who's Stefan Lavera? And, and Corey was like, oh, we're definitely not hiring him. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so uh, you know, that when he when he told me that story, I was like, yeah, I think I'm at the right place, and it's been super exciting. It's it's just cool to to finally be able to talk about Bitcoin constantly as a part of my day job, and not feel like oh, you know, I'm wasting time here because I'm not really focused on the company's mission. I'm just talking about Bitcoin all all the time, which has been a problem at past jobs I've had. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I am, I'm super excited to be part of Swan and, and to talk about Bitcoin every day and to work with super talented people who are very mission oriented. I think that's another thing, which is really cool is working with people who have purpose and it's not just a day job. It's not just a nine to five thing. They really believe in the mission of the company and and the company has a big mission, which is onboarding the world to Bitcoin, like making sure everyone in the world can get Bitcoin. Fantastic. And uh, you're working with the Swan Vault team, so that's very exciting too. All right. So let's move on. Thanks for sharing all that. Appreciate it. Um, You guys are doing a live session tomorrow night, uh, and this is something that people can sign up for, join up to, uh, ask questions on, uh, and they're going to get access to you and some of the other members of the team, Terrence and Steven Lubka, for uh, a while what are you guys going to talk about? Yeah, so we get a ton of questions at Swan about investing in Bitcoin. So um, it, the the topic is perhaps a little bit more prosaic than what you and Alex were just talking about, which I find a really exciting topic. But it's a really important one and people care about their finances and investing and, and how to allocate their portfolio. So we'll, we'll be talking about that. Um, we'll be talking about like high-level issues like uh, – uh, what should my allocation to Bitcoin be in in, in a, a standard uh, portfolio? Because not everyone is is ready to go, you know, hardcore one hundred percent Bitcoin. I know a lot of us probably are or very close to it. Uh, but for people who are just thinking of Bitcoin as an investment, like what should they um, have allocated to Bitcoin? We're going to be talking about investment frameworks for Bitcoin and uh, associated price levels that you could think about. Uh, bullish catalysts for Bitcoin in 2024 and 2025. Um, and, you know, simple stuff that people come up with all the time that, you know, they might seem like noob questions, but I think they're, they're important. Like, am I too late? Why, why should I buy Bitcoin and not have an allocation to these other shit coins? They seem much cheaper. So, you know, a lot of stuff like that and questions related to, uh, allocating Bitcoin in your IRA, which is a, a big topic for people who are US based uh if they want to save taxes and 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 grow their wealth in a tax free way. Terence, you have anything you want to add here? Uh yeah, no, that's we're going to be very excited to have VJ on tomorrow, uh Stephen and myself. So, look forward to the, to the discussion. I do think um we do want to talk if it's possible about the bearish catalysts that you might see that people don't usually talk about um, and just how that may or may not be outweighed by all the bullish catalysts. I'm personally very bullish now more than ever because of the ETFs and all the other stuff that's happening. All right. We got about four minutes left in the show. If anybody has any questions um, or comments, now's the time. You can also do it in our Telegram group, uh, 
bit.ly forward slash Cafe Bitcoin Club. That's the Telegram group for the show, Cafe Bitcoin. If you're listening to the podcast, occasionally we talk about posting links in the nest. If you'd like to get access to that, if you join the Telegram group, we do post those in there as well, as well as other things having to do with the show uh, and what we've got coming up. So if you got a question, now's the time. Can I ask a quick question, Alex? Actually, it's a of question course. for Terrence. How do people who are in this uh, space now register to be part of the webinar? I know it's free, but where do they go? Sure. Yeah, they, they there's a uh, link in the nest. So I think it's the second post in the nest where um, basically the Pacific Bitcoin handle shared from Swan. The Swan handle, are you as bullish as Vijay Boyapati? And there is a link to register now, swanbitcoin.com.zoom.us slash webinar registration, blah, blah, blah. And if you can't make or if you're not sure you can make the live stream, register anyway. You're going to have to give up your email, but I think that's it, maybe your first name. And then you will get the recording. So if you're not sure you can make the live stream, Make sure you sign up anyway, just so you can get the recording, because everybody who signs up for the live stream, whether they join or not, will get emailed the recording afterwards, the full recording. BJ. Yeah, hey, BJ. Good to have you up here, brother. Um, just a quick question. You know, In the process of writing a book, you always learn things that you never anticipated or never even thought of. I'm just curious if you had that experience. Is there something that you stumbled across about Bitcoin in the process that you thought, wow, I didn't even realize that? Or you just you understood everything from the beginning and just wanted to get it down? What was the process like? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. Uh, I think I had to it wasn't that I I learned anything big. It was more that it really clarified my understanding. When you have to commit your thoughts to words and make them precise so that other people can understand them you really need to hone down exactly what you're thinking and you can have these vague understandings. And certainly I feel like I had a pretty good understanding for why Bitcoin had value, which I think is the most important question in economics that unfortunately has not been addressed by most mainstream economists. You know, how does this thing have value at all? It's created out of, out of nothing, uh, and let alone the fact that it's been steadily increasing for over a decade now. That's a profoundly important question of economics. Um, I think also I really dug the, the thing that um, was was important and helped me understand Bitcoin more was digging into the risks. Um, and I think that was one of the reasons the book resonated with more than just like hardcore Bitcoiners was that I wanted to explore what the risks were. And there are real risks to uh, investing in Bitcoin and and um, putting like a large part of your savings into Bitcoin. And I wanted to be really honest about that. So I spent a lot of time exploring uh, what I think are the real risks of Bitcoin. So probably that is the area where my understanding uh, uh, grew a lot, like thinking about the risks of rehypothecation and the risks of, uh, you know, macro risks like Federal Reserve policy, Um I think that those were the areas where my, my understanding grew a lot. Very cool. Also, just to tie that in into Svetsky, just to throw something at you, uh, brother. Uh, I had a long, when we were in Vegas, I had a long conversation with Stephen Hicks uh, about, you know, we're just catching up on stuff, philosophy, money, all that sort of stuff. Oh, and by the way, Alex, 
I think I'm going to be able to get him to come into Cafe Bitcoin. We'll talk about that. And Fantastic. he was he was telling me about sharing a stage with Millet on multiple occasions. And we'll talk about that. If you guys are around for Political Bitcoin Hour at one o'clock, come join me and uh, myself and Brandon. We'll talk a little bit more about that because I'd like to get a lot more into the philosophy of it. And one of the things that Stephen uh, brought up uh, is exactly what you just uh, discussed, PJ, is, you know, what's going to be the reaction of government to Bitcoin? And I'm sure you're well beyond that journey since you've put it into paper. And maybe if we can make that space happen, it would be good to have you in the space uh, to talk to Stephen directly about Bitcoin or still trying to figure out. But uh, great work, everybody. All right. We are at the end of the show. Uh, I want to give VJ a couple of moments to make some closing comments if you would like to make any. Thank you so much for being here. We'd love to have you back again. Thanks to all the speakers, obviously. Svetsky for being here. BJ for being here. All the people who come on, on the regular. Throw these guys follows. Um, they are um, great dudes to check out if you want to learn more uh, uh, and expand your mind. VJ, closing comments? Uh, yeah, just that the, we have the webinar tomorrow. I hope everyone will register and anyone interested in investing in Bitcoin, I hope they'll register. And just wanted to say it was really enjoyable for me to be part of the end of the, the last conversation and hear you guys talking about Bitcoin's impact on culture and how it's going to change the world for the better. Exciting stuff. All right. BJ Boyapati, ladies and gentlemen. That's it for the show. A couple of quick um, items we're going to hit here uh, as housekeeping things. If you want to get a huge hack discount on um, Pacific Bitcoin, here's the hack. You use Bitcoin to buy your ticket. You get a 21% discount. Then use promo code CAFE on top of that for another 20% discount for a total of 41%. I don't, again, I don't know how long they're going to do this. I'm not sure if they even did it on purpose, but this works right now. So I'm going to keep telling people to do it. Maybe before they figure out what they've done. I don't know. We'll see. Um, also, later tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern, we're going to be live with Bitcoin vet veterans. Once again, it's going to be the regular Bitcoin veterans crew, but we're also going to have Bill Steppens, who's here on the stage, who is a, a former U.S. Army officer of 23 years, leadership and tactics instructor at the Command and General Staff College for six years, EXO for a three-star at the Pentagon, doing simulated war game stuff as well at Fort Leavenworth. We've also got Randy Kelly out in the audience who will be joining us as well. He is a former U.S. Navy SEAL sniper. One of his assignments was teaching task unit Bruiser, which some of you guys may know this dude named Jocko Willink. That's his unit, how to uh, successfully identify, track down, and hunt people of interest uh, while they were doing their things over there. He's also doing, he's also done a bunch of Intel briefing stuff for various different commands, et cetera. So why are we doing this? There's the new movie out on Netflix called Leaving the World Behind. This was produced by Obama. There's a lot of interesting stuff in there. If you're going to come to tonight's show, I suggest if you have a chance, go watch the movie because uh, we're going to be digging in uh, deep into like if these scenarios actually occur. And by the way, there's a lot of talk about this. The Whitney Webb's out there talking about upcoming cyber attacks on the U.S. Uh, internet uh, and, and power systems as well as you're starting to see people in the news talking about this kind of stuff too. So we're going to dig deep into that. That's it. You have been listening to Cafe Bitcoin, the place for your morning news. Preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in the industry. This is also a podcast on Apple, Spotify, Overcast, Fountain. Throw me your swan to follow to be notified when they drop. 
Thanks to Swan Bitcoin and Marathon, sponsors of the show, my crew, Aunt Peter Sats for Life, Wicked, Dom Bay, Producer Jacob. I'm your host, Alex Danzik. Work with Swan. Throw me a DM if you want to know more. Thanks again to the speakers who come on here every day teaching people about this bright orange future. This is what I call getting on the mission. If you don't know what that means, hang out. You'll figure it out. Love you guys. Everybody go out there. Have a great day today. Crush it. <laughs>